Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. You know my guest today as the only leader of the Reform Party and the grandfather of what is now known as the Conservative Party of Canada. Preston Manning served as an MP for nearly a decade and was the leader of the official opposition in the House of Commons from 1997 to 2000. It's my honor to welcome Mr. Preston Manning on Return to Reason today to discuss his latest writings, Report of the COVID Commission. This stunning read is a futuristic look at what could develop when Canadians rise up and hold elected leaders accountable for what all took place over the last two years. Well, it's great to have you with me, Preston. It's been some wild times. Well, that's right. That's right. I would love to talk today a little bit about uh, what's been kind of on your heart when it comes to public inquiry and stuff in dealing with all that has gone on in the last two years. I, I want to hear it from your perspective. I want, I, I want to hear what you're thinking. Uh, we're going to have a good conversation. Okay, okay. Well, I, I put this down in a kind of a fictional account, imagining a, a couple of things, Leon, that are not that hard to imagine. One is I, I do believe Canadians are going to demand some kind of full-blown investigation or independent inquiry into how the, uh, the whole COVID pandemic was uh, managed, particularly by the, uh, the, the governments. And we could get into what such a which an inquiry might come up with. And then secondly, I think this, uh, the, the sentiments expressed by this freedom convoy, the truckers, uh, I think it's a lot deeper and broader than that. I think there's a whole huge number of Canadians that are upset about how easily their constitutionally guaranteed rights and freedoms could be uh, uh, superseded by health protection measures. And I think that freedom uh, convoy thing has a potential for morphing into a bigger freedom movement that would have a major impact on uh, particularly federal politics. So, well, tell me about that, because like anytime um, we would watch mainstream media, it uh, I watched and we had people on the ground in Ottawa. Uh, reporters, so, and we videotaped everything every day. We would do live walks through, and I was yep. stunned at the untruths that mainstream media was doing, the minimizing of it all as a nothing movement, yet it struck a chord with people around the world. Now, you're saying you think this is still moving and it's going to go into something bigger. Like what? Well, there's there's dozens and dozens of groups, not not just the original Freedom Convoy uh, uh, group, because they've been hamstrung by the uh, government arresting some of them, and then these yep. these con bail conditions that have been imposed on them just violates every constitutional right that they yeah. they have. But there's more and more groups, and I, I think these groups are going to eventually get together and do something more. Uh, substantive. O on your point about wh where was the support for this uh, freedom convoy coming, uh, uh, w one of the people that was connected with the financing of it asked me, where, where do you think the largest number of dollars came to support the freedom convoy? And being a Westerner, I said, <laughs> the West. <laughs> he said, no, the, the largest amount of money came from Quebec. The second largest amount of money came from Ontario. The third largest amount of money came from Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. 
And what the Western guys kicked in was more, there was financial contributions, but it was contributions in kind, truck, trucks, fuel wow. and supply services. And I actually think what got the federal government thinking about the Emergencies Act, which is could be politically damaging if they mishandled it, wasn't their alarm about this stuff coming out of the West because the liberals have lost the West anyway. I think it when they saw those truckers coming from <laughs> it would have knowledge about the degree of support there that that was a national emergency because it was a political emergency but the, it just reinforces your point that there, there was a lot more support for that uh, for that what, what and, and they weren't just protesting the, the particular mandates uh, the vaccine mandates they were protesting the uh, the violation of rights and freedoms because the, the, the ottawa police arrested some of these people took them down to the station and, and then found, they thought they were arresting them because they weren't obeying the vaccine mandate. And then the guy says, no, I'm fully vaccinated. <laughs> so yeah. the police say, well, what are you doing here? Because I'm protesting the broader issue of the violation of the constitutional rights and freedoms. Now, as we look at, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things going on that I appreciate all of them. Every person who is using their freedom to rise up and to speak uh, whether it is with the truckers, whether it is with their own websites, whether it is social media, you know, all across the board. But let's talk about a public inquiry. I don't think a lot of people know exactly what we mean by that. Is What is a public inquiry and why is it powerful? Well, the traditional way it would be an issue gets serious enough that the government can call a royal commission. And they passed an order in council where they appoint certain people to be commissioners. And uh, the the Hall Commission was uh, into healthcare years and years ago was the commission that actually recommended Canadian Medicare in its current form. The uh, McDonald Commission was a commission that recommended the free trade agreement. But the trouble with royal commissions in this case, like what, what government is going to appoint a commission to yeah. investigate itself when it, it probably knows the outcome is not going to be good. So then that gets into discussion. Could you get an independent inquiry of some kind? Could a, if, if you could find, and it comes down to, could you find commissioners that are independent, not dependent on the government or the drug companies or the medical profession or anybody else are really independent, uh, but have enough credibility because of their background or experience that the public would accept them as credible uh, people and, and this is being discussed among a number of these groups. The, the idea of a national independent inquiry seems to be have a lot of traction. The question is how, how could it be set up so it would have uh, credibility. Uh, but if you got that going, then, then what happens at an inquiry is witnesses are brought before the inquiry. They're, they're asked to swear that they, what they're going to tell is the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And you would bring out a whole bunch of things that have not been brought out before. You would have people telling their stories, uh, not just about the violation of their constitutional rights or, or the, even the economic impact, but the human, the human impacts of this, that uh, on families, on you know, children that couldn't be with a dying parent, with school children that have never known a kind of a normal uh, two two years. I, I think the first thing this would bring out is is the enormous negative human impact of some of these things that were done in the name of health protection, and then you'd have some of the technical people 
come forward on the, the, what was the science. This, this idea that science speaks with one voice, science itself says, no, it doesn't. Science speaks with conflicting hypotheses and uses the scientific method to sort out which ones are valid. Then you'd have civil libertarian lawyers that would argue that the, the government itself has violated the law uh, in the way that is imposed these uh, the, these healthcare restrictions. So all of that would come out and then presumably uh, uh, this commission would recommend uh, some what can be done. And, and I think where they'd end up is on, on what's a balance, what's a balance between health protection and the protection of rights and freedoms. And I think that would be, at least the country would learn something from this exercise that if this ever happens again, we don't repeat the mistakes that have been made this time. If we need people who a wide swath of the public would respect, we have a ton of brilliant men and women, I've interviewed some of them, who the credentials are impeccable and greater than anything the government would even have in their uh, bevy of people, but they have been so silenced, attacked, mainstream media. I mean, in a democracy, it's hard to keep a democracy going when there is such censorship. In the discussions on this, people have narrowed down some of the categories. You'd have to have some medical and science people mm -hmm. that, that are credible on, because the issue of how do you apply the science and how does science apply to this is relevant. Uh, so you'd have to have some of those. You'd, you'd have to have uh, some legal people because this gets into the, uh, the constitutional rights and freedoms that were violated. Civil libertarian uh, lawyers, former judges, uh, perhaps, at, the, at least right. at the provincial level, that would have some uh, credibility and would raise the question, did the government do any impact assessments on those health protection measures? Did it do any impact assessment on the what the impacts would be on rights and freedoms? Did they do any impact assessment on the economic consequences, the loss of jobs and, and income? So people knowledgeable in that area. And then I think you need some people from the actually economic front lines, uh, uh, labor union uh, people. There's a lot of angst among the, the private sector unions wonder yep. how come they were hammered, lost their jobs and their incomes. And the public sector union members were assiduously protected by the, the government. So you'll, you, you, can, you can identify the categories, you know, medical science people, some civil libertarian lawyers, some people expert on the economic side who, if they were credible, could bring a lot of uh, expertise and credibility to such a commission. You know, Preston, mainstream media can be so quickly uh, controlled, and then so can social media. Uh, the mm -hmm. second you trigger certain words, I think that um, as this unfolds, that we need to work with other people outside of the country. Maybe there's other communication huge, and I know they would cover this. I think really the challenge is how to get the communication of this out, mainly by independent media in right. the, in, and creating a skepticism on the part of the public that what, the story That's you're happening. getting from the, main, the mainstream media is simply not yeah. too late. I haven't watched the CBC News, for example, for years. No. Uh, just because I, you know, I, I just don't appreciate the, the, the bias and I, I don't appreciate the hypocrisy of it. It's one thing to have a, a line, if you want to support the government line and be a, a propagator of the government line, fine, but say so, say that's what we're doing. D right. Don't pretend, no. don't pretend to be objective and distant when you're getting $1.3 billion a year to, yeah. to 
pr propagate a certain lie. You know? I know. I've noticed that to make the nation feel like everybody's on side with the decision. Everybody loves the decision. They even take the statistics and twist them. No one is trusting statistics anymore unless you're going to show them to us, interpret them in front of us. And so it, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's a crazy time. Well, that, and that's where I think the science community, I've been a big supporter of this Canadian science policy conference for years. It started fairly small. Now, now it's a big thing. And one of their efforts is to try to get political people together with scientists because so many of these issues today have a science component. But I, I, I know what I've been saying to my science friends is I think you have to be communicating more directly on these issues because there's been a lot of distortion of your science by you know, bureaucratic people and, uh, and political people. I'm noticing that the doubt in all of this is increasing very quickly as we hear different things released by Pfizer, for example. Um, other stats are being released like John Hopkins. Other prestigious uh, groups are releasing information and a lot of people won't carry it, but as it's being carried by the independents, social media, independent broadcasters, I, I'm noticing a it's happening that people's friends are wondering why their friend is putting that on social media and then they're reading it and there is this groundswell and I think you hit on that in our opening notes of our interview today. Uh, and that, one of the questions that would come up at this commission is is how, how come the science uh, story cha changed through the course of this and, and people would be open to you know bureaucratic politicians saying we didn't know kind of what we were doing at the beginning and that's why it changed but people want answered one time they were told if you got vaccinated you would not get COVID-19 then they were told well actually this vaccination isn't forever you got to get supplementary you got to get booster shots and you got to get second shots and then that'll take care of it and then people that got all of them, like our, our family, I had all the shots and the booster and everything else. We ended up getting it anyway. So, uh, and then it was, well, you, you couldn't transmit it to somebody else or could you, like this, that kept the story kept changing. And of course it yep. creates a skepticism. People yep. say, well, I, I don't think you know what you're talking about. One of the big things that uh, I, I end up on this, Leon, and, I, and I've been in political business a long time is, 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 to, to asking people, like, what, what are you prepared to actually do about this other than, I, I worry about this with young people on social media where talking about it, blogging about it, Facebooking about it, Twittering about it, is it becomes a substitute for action. Like what, what can you do if you're concerned about this? And the, the, the short list I've been giving to people is one is get your own story straight. How did this affect you? And, and, and stress the human, side of it, not, yes. not just the legal side, of it. that's important, not, not, not even just the economic side, but the human side of it, because that's the side bureaucracy is not equipped to handle. So get your own story straight, tell it to somebody, tell it to your friends, tell it to your neighbors, if you use social media, tell that. And then, uh, then demand, call up your MP or your MLA or your MPP and, and, and say, we want an independent investigation and inquiry into this. And then fourthly, there's a whole bunch of groups out there that are pushing for this type of thing. Join one of them and add your support, give them some money, give them some, at least some moral support. So, it's, it's, you know, four simple little things, get your story straight, tell your story, 
contact uh, an elected official that you want this inquiry and, and join with one of the groups that are pushing for it. I, I got to tell you one quick story. We have uh, campuses of private schools. And so we have security. And one day we see a car driving around our school, oddly. Security descended on the car only to find an elderly grandpa and grandma in tears because at that point, uh, it was the only chance they had of seeing their grandchildren, and they wouldn't tell them they were doing it because they couldn't touch them, they couldn't be close to them, but they could watch them through the playground. And as the security, the guys told me, I mean, they wept as they shared these two telling their story and weeping because they were so alone and yeah, no family yeah. around them. And as a person has been in, in government or close to government a long time, bureaucratic systems cannot transmit that kind of information. And, and it's not because they don't care or anything else. Bureaucracies, you have to be able to measure stuff. Like if, you know, there's eight layers of bureaucracy between the red water oil field and the Minister of Energy in Alberta. And if somebody goes out and counts how many barrels of oil are produced by the red water field, that can go up through that system right to the minister and by golly, that information would get through there. Yeah. But something that happens at this human level, emotion, uh, tears, uh, feelings like that, 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 that system can't transmit that. that that's no. why bureaucracies reduce it to cases and numbers. We'll give you a number and we can handle you as a number. We can't handle you as a person. And uh, I, I think what this investigation would reveal is the inadequacy of bureaucracy to handle emergencies of this kind with the human implication. There's got to be some better way of doing it. And the story you've told just illustrates that. We used to see two brilliant people on, on, on both sides of an argument. And then they would begin this sharing and debating in the most statesmanlike way. And it's a brilliant way for you and I to learn in areas outside of our linear expertise. And we see nothing like that on, on broadcast today. Yeah. In fact, there's this cancel culture that if you disagree, then you're you're not to be heard. There's not this discussion is not to occur, and you're not to be heard. The the other thing that this inquiry would get into this use of fear as the principal way to motivate people to support a public policy. I mean, there are these consulting firms and I mean, they're backroom people and they get paid to do this and they're very yeah. brilliant. And they, they, they will tell you, look, the cheapest, quickest way to get support for a public policy is to scare the hell out of yep. people if they don't comply with it. And that's been used in this climate change uh, argument by by the the Trudeau government, and it was a very natural step. Let's use that with respect to the health protection measures for COVID. And uh, I, I think it's an illegitimate way of getting public support for a, a policy, but it's it's being used. And the, these consultants argue it's very effective. Yeah, Preston, what do you think about this issue that because of federal restrictions? There are millions of people and, you know, and these are experts who disagree with the government's numbers that there are millions of people, uh, six, seven million people that cannot get on a plane, a train or a ship 
because of these restrictions. And what, we're the only country in the world apparently like this. We're supposed to be the true north, strong and free. Talk to me about this. I think the important thing is what, what can be done about this? It's, yes. it's very easy to get just pessimistic about. And I, I, I got emails from young people saying, I don't feel at home in this country anymore. No, and I'm going leaving. somewhere else. And I, I press them, where are you going to go that you're going to feel more at home? And their answers are not very adequate. But all they say is, I, I don't feel at home here which is is a t terrible indictment of the of the country but so on, on the optimistic side i i believe you could have an inquiry into how this has been handled and, and lessons to be learned and and at the end of the day and, and you know there's the old joke about why did canadians cross the road to get to the middle that that canadians <laughs> have almost this instinctive desire and there's two kinds of middles there's a middle that's a meaningless compromise between alternatives and there's a principled middle and i would call it a balance rather than a, a middle and i think if we could move toward what's the balance between protecting our health and protecting our rights and freedom what's the balance between protecting our health and protecting the performance of the economy that that investigation would be well worthwhile and the lessons learned would be applicable for the future. Well, one of the things that I hear everywhere when I, when I travel is that um, why won't politicians stand up? Why won't more people stand up? CEOs of companies just giving in. Uh, you wrote a book a little while ago. I thought it's one of the best I've read about public life uh, when you are a servant of, of the people. And what would your advice be to some of these people who are in really supposedly powerful positions in government, in health care? Is there any way for regular people who feel stuck, what do, I, what do they do? Well, I'd say to elected people that this, endeavoring to find a principal position and standing for it and articulating it is is really the best way to, to go. Look where taking the other approach has led to the perceived. It's perceived the way you describe it as, as being either cowardly or, uh, or compromised or, or ineffective. Uh, and if you want to counter that, then take a principal position on these stands. And I, I'm a small D Democrat by a principle when I represented Calgary Southwest I would start by saying what do my people think is there a principal value that they would bring to bear on this issue and, and start there and and I, I think if a lot of the current politicians were to do that they would find out among their own grassroots people maybe not among the mainstream media but among their own grassroots people there there is a commitment and an interest in some of these values balance for example yes. the, uh, a high priority to rights and freedoms, a high priority to their jobs and incomes. And, and by t articulating that and taking a stand on that, you're, you're not away off on some other planet. You've you're, no. you're got your feet on solid ground. I feel like one of the traps that we have is that we that leaders begin to think about themselves as in the word career. And it loses yeah. this servant of the people where men and women of years past would literally give up finances, career, the future, if something was so principled to them 
that they refuse to move. And I'm sorry, but I don't see that much out there at all. My father who spent his entire life in uh, public life used to say, well, if he saw a cabinet minister or somebody like that starting to think about his legacy, he'd say, look, that, that's like driving a car looking in the rear view mirror yes <laughs> you're, you're going to hit a tree and that's going to be your legacy yeah but that uh, being more conscious of your image whether it's current or or, or your legacy is not uh, a firm foundation for determining your position on uh, on an issue so if everyone's listening right now and they're going okay we want a public inquiry what can all of us do to move this towards possibility well, i say a couple of things. One is, if you believe that, to communicate that to your elected official. Not, not that necessarily a royal commission is going to be the answer, but they should hear that you want that kind of an inquiry. And then you know, it can just be a phone call, it can be a letter, it can be an email, just, just do that. And then uh, secondly, uh, I'll put it this way, suppose you were asked to testify in front of that commission to tell your story. You, you may be, not many of us would be, but think through what your story would be. Mm -hmm. uh, and that your story, would it's not just the violation of your rights or your income, but it, it's human side. Because I, I think unless this starts with rooted in sort of care and compassion as distinct from legalities or economics, the, the, the way you get to the heart of people uh, as distinct from their heads is through yes. those stories. So think through what your story would be and what should be presented to that commission. And then, as I say, the third thing, there are a bunch of groups out there that are pushing for this inquiry and are discussing this. Who, who could you get? Who would you trust to be commissioners? It's, it's the question's not been settled. It's been the question's being asked. And, and jo join one of those groups. Uh, you say the, the right. Freedom Convoy, but the, uh, I mentioned this uh, Canadian COVID Care Alliance, and there's there's dozens of them. You know, in, there's some in Quebec, there's some in Atlantic Canada, there's some in the West here, and uh, assist those groups in trying to push for this kind of independent commission. And speaking with leaders uh, who have been or are in our different parties, a comment I'm hearing is that people don't really get voted in as much on their merits when it comes to the prime minister as the nation wants someone gone and whoever is <laughs> then there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's true that uh, ultimately the voters themselves are more clear on what they're against than what they're for. And uh, I think we're getting to an era of virtual politics. Like I, I feel the country doesn't have a prime minister. I think we have an amateur actor playing the role of prime minister. Wow. I don't think we have a finance minister. She may be well meaning, but she's a, a journalist. You can get a journalism degree in this country without a single course in economics or public finance. So what we have is a, is a journalist playing the role of a finance minister. And, and this is getting into virtual politics. And I've discussed this with people. I say, do you ever watch any of those medica medical shows on TV, House, uh, The Good Doctor, or there's a bunch of them. Say, th those actors are very, very good at playing the role of a they doctor, are. a nurse, the health professional. Like, And they even show them doing operations. You know, you think, gee, this guy's just taking somebody's kidney and put it on the... Uh, on a tray, but but they're they're very but they're actors. At the end, if you were sick, if you were really sick, wouldn't you trust one of them to do the operation? 
No, you want somebody that actually can do, even if he's got a wart on his nose and is not charismatic and can't, doesn't look good on television, but he knows how to, how, how to do medicine. And uh, I, I think we're getting into an era where we've got political people that are playing the role. You, you've even got these parties that they're not hiring speech writers, they're hiring script writers. You, you know, that, that, uh, that we've got to get back to people that are the real thing not actors playing the role. And, and this applies to all the political parties, but I, I think the current federal government's got a lot of actors playing the role that aren't qualified for the, the office at all. One of the things I enjoy and I've noticed is speaking with men and women who have been in office, no longer want to, and now, you know, and they will speak truth because I've, I've interviewed people from the other parties who they no longer want politics. And it's interesting what they have to say. Well, and I think people can be encouraged. I mean, I, I've been critical of Canadian democracy all, all my life. I think it can be improved. But I have to say, in, in my, my own case, in, in the late 1980s, uh, five people met in a boardroom here in Calgary said, we, we don't like either of the options that we've got here. And so we're going to try and do something different. We're going to look at, do you create a new interest group? Do you, what about a third party? Because the West has that tradition. What about working within one of the existing parties? And, and okay, well, we couldn't agree even among the five of us. So we're going to have a conference to discuss on those issues. And we had this little conference and they decided, well, why not try the third party route? It's the Western Quebec have run on third parties for a long, long time. They, that's part of our tradition. Uh, so why not try that? And one thing led to another, and then by golly, this reform party came out of that and won 52 seats, and then it became the official opposition. And then we tried to broaden it out with an alliance with the Klein Conservatives, the Pillman Conservatives, the Harris Conservatives, and then Peter McKay and Stephen took it one more notch and created the Conservative Party of Canada and it won a minority government and formed a majority government. It started with five people just <laughs> taking the tools that Canadian democracy, flawed as it is, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom to try to persuade you to do this rather than that, and ended up with a majority government. So despite all the flaws in our, our system, you, you could not do that in the United States today. No. You couldn't do it in, well, it would be difficult to do it in Britain, but you can do that in Canada. So there, 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 we, we, we can do more than we give ourselves credit for, yeah. and even small groups of people can have ultimately have a big impact. You sound very optimistic, and I like that, because some people just throw up their hands and say, it's too late, it's never going to be the same, and you're saying, no way, we live in a country where we can bring change. No, although the, the, the big word, when the government starts circumscribing these rights, see, you'll notice in my little story there that uh, we, we were exercising fundamental rights, freedom of speech, freedom of belief, freedom to try to persuade you to do this, do that. When the government starts circumscribing that, th then you do have a problem. But uh, say it ought to be an incentive to fight against and make sure that that particular perspective doesn't prevail. <laughs> Preston, thank you for being with us today. It's, uh, it's great hearing from you. You are very respected, trusted, and uh, so we like hearing your words. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk again. Thank you so much. Okay. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. 
Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.